Hello, and welcome to the MadeCast, the official podcast of the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment, a series of lectures on video game history as part of the Maid's ongoing effort to preserve history through teaching and displaying playable exhibits of rare games and consoles. While life in the time of COVID has forced us to close our doors, the support of people like you has allowed us to continue to bring history to you through lectures and interviews like the one you hear in a few minutes. I'm Chun. I'm Red. And I'm Miles. Today, Alex sits down with Crispin Boyer and Mark McDonald, veterans of Electronic Gaming Monthly, to talk about games journalism, the days of IRC, and their memories of EGM. I'm very excited to have them on. It's going to be nice to get a little touch of old school video game news. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a fun talk. Yes. But as far as news goes, Chun, Uh do you want to break the news about your favorite game? Of course. So, (laughs) (laughs) apparently, the Final Fantasy XIV digital copies is actually sold out. It's not the physical copies, but digital copies. So, literally, you can't pay for the game. And you can't create new characters in the game just because there are just too many new players for the game for the moment. Uh, on the North American service. Yeah, on the North American service. And that just actually doesn't matter much for for the future because they soon will be making a, I think it's the, they call it the data server transfer service, which you can just travel to the other center. For example, if you play in a Japanese server, you can just travel to the any server for a moment and play with your friends in the other country. That's what they will be doing in the future. So in my opinion, it doesn't matter much where you register your characters in. But not quite now. Yeah. But I'd, uh, it's just an interesting thing that's happening. A lot of a lot of speculation has been that it's been to keep the servers from overloading, so allowing people to keep playing. It's going to be pretty pretty fun. We'll see how the development goes further. And then in, uh, also is, uh, you found a story about Mario 3 Miles as well? So back in 1990, uh, id Software, the creators of Doom and Quake and all those, you know, amazing games, over the course of about a day, created a Mario 3 PC port to pitch Nintendo uh, to basically allow them to port Nintendo games onto PCs. The, the deal fell through. It never happened. But this little tidbit of gaming history of Mario playable on PC by a by a legit developer was kind of buried for a while. John Romero in 2015 said that the demo still existed in some form. And uh, very recently, uh, it was donated to the Strong National Museum of Play in Rochester, New York. So it is not currently on uh, exhibition, but it has been preserved, essentially, for future generations to... Remember this little piece of history. We may have to make a trip out to Rochester, y'all. We may have to go and grab us a couple garbage plates and play some Mario 3 on a PC. <laughs> I think Nintendo game just, it seems like they're never going to push the game on PC. After so many years, they just never do that. They're not going to. They don't need to. Yeah. They don't need to. I mean, like I'm ecstatic that they're, they beefed up the Switch Online compared to any other. They actually have some semblance of an online framework people to play against each other now yeah mm-hmm. although i will say in my smash bros online thing the input lag is a little bit hard to get used to it's also might just be me being bad at smash i think so it, i blocked i think it's actually it's actually the internet problem uh, i mean they they do recommend people to use uh, ethernet rather than wi-fi while playing more competitive games 
because it, in my, as my experience and what I heard, the Wi-Fi in the Nintendo Switch is pretty weak. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, I used to have similar problems while playing Splatoon Two, and it just get too serious that I can't keep playing because I would just disconnect every match and keep losing my rate point. <laughs> But if regards to other Smash news, or, well, Smash Smash adjacent, uh, Nickelodeon's All-Star Brawl has been announced and will be available this fall. This is a Smash Bros-like game featuring many, many classic Nickelodeon characters from, like, Ah Real Monsters, Ren and Stimpy, Danny Phantom, all of your favorite classic Nickelodeon characters will be able to fight uh, and from a teaser video, we saw uh, what I am assuming will probably be my my main uh, Powdered Toast Man. So it's confirmed. Powdered Toast Man's a playable character. Um, <laughs> I'm more of a Everyone Nigel Thornberry will... man. Myself. <laughs> anyway, that's exciting. In the meantime, I think we got to throw it over now to Christian Boyer and Mark McDonald so we can get some more EGM classic news and what it's like to be working for the magazine back then. This is a very interesting talk. I think everyone will enjoy this one. So here's Crispin Boyer and Mark McDonald. Welcome back. We're here with Crispin Boyer and Mark McDonald. Welcome, fellas. Hey, hey, thank you. Uh, now, you two guys are alums uh, from Electronic Gaming Monthly, uh, and Shu was kind enough to hook us up. I appreciate him uh, connecting you. Do you mind each telling your story in turn and how you came to EGM? Sure, you were, sure. There, you were there first. Yeah, I was a newspaper reporter in North Carolina, and I covered uh, county government and police and health department. And I was not thrilled with the, the hottest beat, the yes, hottest beat exactly. North Carolina. <laughs> in Lenore, North Carolina. The... Was that for a newspaper, Crispin? Yes. Yeah, it was for a newspaper called the Lenore News Topic. And uh, there were these things, yeah, I mean, made out of I, I guess, trees that were called back. newspapers back then. <laughs> um, yes, they were uh, popular. And uh, so I was covering uh, health department meetings, super boring, and I was not thrilled with the job. I had to get up super early every day, like 5 a.m. to wrote our stories in the morning. And I was always into video games uh, as a little kid. I used to really be into video game magazines back then. I liked uh, Next Generation Magazine, Electronic Game Monthly, uh, Game Pro. And I picked up, uh, the health department meeting was starting late. So I walked across the street to the grocery store, picked up an issue of EGM, hadn't read it in a long time, and saw an ad in the back that they were hiring. So I sent in a resume and some samples, and I got hired. And I, I guess the moral of that story is... The, I would not have been. I would not have gotten hired at EGM if that health department meeting had started on time. <laughs> I not, would not have seen that they were hiring. So Isn't it? Yes, fate. it was a nice, a nice twist of fate. But having those clips, those clips were a big deal. I mean, that's probably what got you hired, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they were looking for someone with some journalism background and who's had passion and interest in video games. So it really did. Yeah, I, one thing led to the other. You're a journalism major, right? Yeah, you graduated. Yeah, that's what I went to school yeah. for. And um, which was very rare. I mean, I think now less so, but at the time <laughs> was like almost unheard of. I mean, it was like it was very rare that people had like journalism bona fides. Usually it was just, you know, they had had a fanzine or a website or something. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of guys EGM at the time had basically just worked there since high school. They started with like the, the hint line, the, the call in line for, for video game help with like 
you know, really old school games like Adventures of Lolo and stuff. Um, so yeah, I was, I was like one of the college boys that they brought in. And there was some, there was definitely a us versus them mentality too, with some of the old school that uh, we all kind of went through, but um, yeah. 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 And um, so I was, um, my story is not as, uh, as dramatic, um, but I <laughs> was on a, uh, IRC internet relay chat was a thing back before uh, whatever. But um, so I was on a uh, IRC channel called vid games, which a lot of people now that have gone on to do a lot of uh, uh, much bigger and better things than, than I have a lot of really influential people came out of, but it was, uh, it was a really hardcore um, video game discussion channel, really small tight knit group. We would meet, you know, every once in a while at like E3 or something, but mostly it was just on the internet. And I got to know um, uh, a couple guys, Craig Kuyaba and John Ricciardi, um, both of which who also work for, for EGM at different times and was doing um, some freelance stuff while I was still going to school and college. I did like um, some strategy guides back, uh, yeah, when she used to have to buy a book at a bookstore to learn how to, you know, whatever, finish the last boss of Beyond and Beyond or whatever. And that company was based in Hawaii, wasn't it? So there were, yes. So one of the ones that I did was Sandwich Islands Publishing and they were based on Maui, which is where we're at right now, uh, by the way. But, um, (laughs) I'm very jealous. Yeah. So we, um, I did the strategy guide stuff. I did some freelance reviews and articles. And then when I graduated school, um, I was lucky enough to, um, to get an offer. I'd had an offer before that to, to go to, uh, to another magazine game fan actually, which I was a big fan of. I had grown up with these magazines too. I mean, this was a dream come true to me. I didn't even really entertain the idea that this is a possible thing. It was like, do you want to be a movie star or an astronaut when you grow up? It's like, I mean, yeah, of course I want to be a video game. Somebody writes about video games for a living. Nobody does that for real. Right. And so I always had that attitude and, and really was, um, you know, I had done a lot of work. I had my own website for a brief period, focusing on Japanese games and, um, you know, had met a lot of people, but a lot of it was luck. And, 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 um, so through those guys, through those connections, they both worked at, um, Zip Davis, who was the publisher of, of EGM. And, um, I started work for official PlayStation magazine, OPM, which came with the disc, uh, back when the demos came on discs. And then <laughs> after about a year and a half of that or so, there was kind of an exodus from EGM. A lot of people went to some online sites and then that's when I moved over to, uh, to EGM. So, uh, you, you mentioned IRC, was that Fnet? That was Fnet. Yeah. Are you uh, okay, an cool. old IRC? Yeah. I'm ashamed to say I've been on IRC for way too long. No, I mean, you're not <laughs> still on IRC, are you? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, my yeah. God. All right. Yeah. You should be ashamed of that. No, I, yeah. I'm, I'm just excited that it still exists and is going. Um, I mean, that was huge at the time. It was, you know, real, the place where you could go to real time chat about video games back when it was not easy to come by quick news about video games, especially out of Japan. It was, you know, you'd read stuff in a magazine two, three months after it happens, um, if, if that, if you were lucky to find out about it. So that was one of the things that I loved about, uh, about IRC is just, it was, it was happening, if not real time, uh, much quicker. Um, and people were importing all the new games and, and yeah, it was, it was a great, it was a great place to, to, to be. I loved it. 
Absolutely. And I think, as you say, the interesting thing about the early IRC days is that a lot of people from those channels went on to humongous things. The same thing happened in the hacker scenes. There were like uh, Pound Hack, I believe the name of the channel, and Fnet. And like half of that channel are multimillionaires now, like from security companies. Yeah, it was just if you were super ridiculously uh, infatuated and passionate about video games, you kind of just like found your way there. Um, I think another another common thread that we used to talk about, thing that we notice um, that I think is no longer the case, but at the time, was almost everybody in the game industry on the magazine side, but uh, in general, who you'd meet, like worked at Babbage's or Electronics Boutique at one time or another. And it was just, how can I be close to video games? <laughs> like, how can I make money and somehow in, in any way, like have it be related to video games? And uh, yeah, I mean, no, no shade on that at all. I did my stint at, at Babbage's and a, a lot of the... I still have my Babbage's name tag. Square that around. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that does go far back because Babbage's was the first one to go. They were the first one to be subsumed by what? Electronics Boutique or? Elbow, yeah. Good old Elbow. elbow. Uh, I worked at Blockbuster, so, you know. Yeah, so there you go. Okay. All right. That yeah. counts. That definitely yeah. counts. <laughs> so what kind of memories do you guys treasure from your days? I mean, there were the days of E3 being just a ridiculously sexist era. I mean, there's sort of horrible horror stories everybody can tell, but there's also, you know, crazy party events. There's uh, Shu talked about people leaking from the publisher's building, like where they were actually printing the magazine, leaking shots of it. I mean, I don't know where we could even begin here, but do you guys have any particular memories that stick out of your time? Oh. Well, you know, whenever Mark started, it was... Uh, and Mark started like like a year after me, I think. It was definitely a very tight-knit group and pretty intense workload in that it was really came down to that was before we even started relying too much on freelancers. It was just like, you know, 10 people putting together a magazine. And that that included like reviewing a ton of games. And, you know, it was it was very much like a bonding experience. Like we were all mm. kind of in the front lines, um, you know, brainstorming. Right, we put a lot of passion into the magazine. We brainstorm, head, we'd spend like uh, hours coming up with a perfect uh, caption that was kind of funny, but also you know had information. Um, and then yeah, there was also a lot. Of, we'd have game tournaments in the office. We had arcade machines in the office. One of my first experiences when I went there was being able to raid the gaming closet. Mm. Like I had a, the key. I was given the key to the gaming closet for a weekend. I think because our editor in chief at the time, Ed Semrad, was out of town. And that was like, <laughs> yeah, I literally had to be out of town for you yeah. to get the key. Yeah. Like, oh, dad's gone this weekend. <laughs> All right, party. And, and the gaming closet had not just, you know, the production copies of these games. They would have all these weird ROMs and beta versions. I think that there was a, a ROM for the original sequel to Star Fox was in there. And, you know, we had the machines that could play them. So it was kind of like that first weekend that was... I was like OD'd. I, I don't think I slept at all. I basically OD'd on all of these games and all these accessories. The Game Informers still have their closet, and they didn't. One of the things that happened at Ziff, it's kind of a tragedy, but when we moved, I mean, it's especially a, a tragedy uh, to, to you, Alex. When we, I, I, I was intimately involved, actually. What's that? I was intimately involved. I worked for a computer recycling center that caught the second wave, but not the wave of stuff with all the games. I, where did those games go? Oh, okay. Well, so the office, anytime the office would move, you would just lose a ton of stuff. And some of it yeah. on purpose and some of it on accident. And so the office moved once while we were still in Chicago. Then it moved to the Bay Area. And then it yep, moved 50 again in the Bay Area, yeah, to, to different buildings. And every time you would lose a lot of, like, good historical stuff. And yeah, apologies, yep. you might hear some geese uh, popping up here. Oh, that's okay. okay. No, uh, it's not Crispin uh, if you hear that. Uh, um, 
No, and, and at 50 Beale, they actually we actually have at the museum a Japanese Saturn that is modified, and Brendan Sheffield picked it up and went, oh, this is modified. I can tell just by the weight of it. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it was in the Ziff Davis. It obviously came from Illinois because I never saw it when I was in the 50 Beale office at the Computer Gaming World. But it came out the back, right? Like, Yeah, I also had a storage locker incident where a lot of that – I had, I had uh, inherited a lot of the stuff. yes. And I had a storage locker that famously they changed my credit card. I missed a payment and it sold for like $50 or something like that. And it had, it had a radiant silver gun. Uh, no, I remember I, f- I found that and I found that at the Laney. I gave you back some of those games too. I remember some of the, yes, that was me. Yeah. Oh, good Lord. My, my big question was, did she give you back your personal possessions? Because that was my big concern, like your photos and things like that. So what I hope she's listening to this because <laughs> what I did – she's not, of course, at all. But what I did get back, I got a, back a bunch of prototypes, which I'm happy about because they're not allowed to be sold. They should have never been sold, and I never meant to, to sell them. And I also got back – I did get back some personal items, Um but the, the thing that I really, the most important thing that I was really worried about that I got back, she did make me pay, I think, $2,000 to get my personal stuff Whoa. back. Yes, this is after she got it for 50 bucks, which I don't even know what it's worth, but it's an original. Um, uh, you know, she talked about Mono original. Uh, Chris Johnston, who was our news editor, actually at EGM at the time, while he was interviewing him, he just was painting something. And I said to him, hey, if he, if he even sketches on a cocktail napkin or whatever, grab it for me. And he yeah. brought me back like this actual like parchment with paint on it. It was I got it framed. It's really nice. And uh, she didn't realize I think what it was. And so when I when she asked for two thousand dollars, I was like, it's worth it only if that print is in there. Can you send me a picture of it? And she sent me the picture. And so I said, uh, yeah, I'll do it. And luckily, she never caught on so yeah wow um, mm-hmm. take that storage See, lady <laughs> you know and it, it, it what a horrible incident i mean that's just terrible that that happened but here it was traumatizing but actually uh alex the way i think about it now is i've been in japan that was 12 years ago i think maybe 13 years and at the price that i would have been paying and i would have never given it up believe me there would still be there now in yeah oakland or wherever it was I would still be paying for it, and it would. I will. I would have paid more than it was worth by now, but only by now because there was some really great stuff in there. So, but it was also very. I mean, one of the reasons that this stuff survives is because people like you actually took it from work. I mean, EGM doesn't exist. Ziff was throwing it out. I mean, after a certain point, you see they're throwing this stuff out. You got to find a home for it. I have a the uh, the EGM award for Goldeneye, but like when GamePro went down. This is exactly what we did. We, I said, you cannot throw anything away, and we went and got it all, right? Like, But EGM, it didn't happen at EGM, and it was like a computer gaming world as well. And it's such a shame. A lot of these magazines went out without the stuff being saved, and yeah. Well, so back back to yeah, what EGM was like. Um, and so it, it evolved even while I was there. I was there or around it for like seven or eight years, and um, you know, and for, better, for better and for worse, um, but um, it – it definitely one of the things that I remember from early on was that um, uh, Microsoft had sent us a electric skateboard, which at the time, I mean, now you can't even tell if it is, <laughs> but at the time it was like a freaking surfboard. It was huge and had like a lawnmower engine on the back of it. And it had like a, 
a hand controlled thing that you had to pull to, yeah. to go on it. And um, we would ride it around the office. The thing and was fast. It went from yeah. zero to 20 miles an hour and like, it would launch you. Wait, which office is this? This is the Oak Brook office. So, Oak- okay, Oak Brook, yeah. Um, right next to McDonald's headquarters, um, ironically <laughs> enough. But we would set up chairs and then lie on it like a luge and just like ram, ram people into it. And like, and they sent out an email saying, hey, no more writing. Guess what? This is an actual <laughs> office. Like there are people working here. It was no longer, I mean, there were cubicles and everything. It looked like just a normal, a normal office until you looked at anybody's cube and saw all the, like the figurines. But <laughs> they sent out an email and I distinctly remember going to an Arby's over lunch and being like, no, you just working in like a, like a accounting firm. What is this man? And Shu, like to his credit is like, listen, like, let's stop ourselves here for a second. Let's think about this. Cause we were all kind of commiserating. And yeah. then I was like, well, hold, hold on. If like, the thing we have to complain about is we can't ride the like giant electronic skateboard through the. Also, like somebody banged it into a yeah, wall and they, smashed the, 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 the wall. The IT guys took it out at midnight and like drove it right into the wall. There's like an area where the printer was that was walled off, like the, the printer area. <laughs> smashed through the wall. Then they went out. Actually, they got to Home Depot before it closed and got wall patch and patched it up. <laughs> And actually yeah. managed to paint it with like a paint that almost matched. And you'd see it if you, you could totally it. see you it. You could yeah. see the, the uh, skateboard size hole in the wall, but the <laughs> office manager never, never noticed it. So, but so there were the perfect crime, even just while we were there, though. So, and it was, it was way, I mean, that, not like that, that was a crazy story, but it was much more wild west than that before I got there. I know because I met the people and heard the stories. And then while I was there, it got much more generally for the better. But, you know, because like Crispin was saying, you would the week after a deadline, everyone would be so burned out. They couldn't really work or do much. And then the next week, you kind of start to get the idea together. And then you'd work your ass off the, the third week. And then the final week was just like you were there all the time. And it was really, you know, fueled by people who were too young and too stupid to know any better and didn't have families or, you know, obligations. And there were great times. There were really great times, but you know, it's definitely, I'm, I don't think either of us are ones to be like, no man, you weren't there. You didn't pay. (laughs) Like it got way better. We got, um, uh, you know, some people on board who had real experience running a magazine on a schedule and who, wanted to go home to their wives and husbands and, um, <laughs> and got organized. And, um, yeah, even by the time I left, it was, it was so much better in terms of deadline. Also the magazines got way smaller. Yeah. It yeah. was so yeah, yeah. huge. You know, we could still call them the phone books, like the new phone books are here because they were literally so thick with ads that they, they were, were like little phone books. Yeah. They were immense. The cover story was just too many games, too many. It was like a, a ton of reviews, a ton of games to preview. And, um, yeah, but well, yeah, just going back when I first got there, there was the, before there was any real structure or management, uh, it was very much like, uh, uh, I don't want to say like, desk, like a door. On yeah. Some it, was, it, was like, it was like a shanty town of cubicles <laughs> and it was very much like everyone staked out their area. And, and so I was a new guy. <clears throat> so I basically, yeah, I built a, a cubicle out of a door right next to the front door of the office. So I sat there as people came in and came out. And, uh, I managed to find like a, a TV, a tiny, like 14 inch TV. You had to like scrounge rummage for your, <laughs> your belongings. Exactly. Basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of like prison. 
Oh, no, we had a room at, at, at 50 Beal. It was like, you need stuff? There was just a room they could unlock, and there was, you know, TVs and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Not organized in piles. She was pretty savvy because he actually saw that someone was one of the uh, someone on the publishing side was moving out, and they had a couch. Yeah, he, he, he managed to go get their couch, and he made a double-sized cubicle, and he had a little fountain in there. We only have like a minute or two left. I wanted to give you guys a time, chance to talk about what you're doing these days and, you know, let people know what's going on. Uh, yeah, I'm a writer for National Geographic slash Disney. I have a series called Zeus the Mighty. It's a fiction series for young readers that follows Zeus, a hamster at a pet rescue center who believes he's actually Zeus, king of the gods. So and he goes on adventures every night. So it's a it's like an epic. You're going for it's yes. like a multi-part book. It's Crispin's like Lord of the Rings, <laughs> like for, for, for young readers, basically. I got it all in the wheel of time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Crispin was always by far the best writer on on oh. on EGM, hands down. He Thank was the you. features editor, and he was always yeah like super creative. So it's super awesome to see him like yeah like stretching out into uh, into fiction. Or is that based on a real story? Fired by true events. It's for National Geographic kids, so it's supposed to be educational. It's edutainment. And I'm uh, I work at a company called Enhance uh, uh, out of Japan with um, with Mizuguchi-san, who uh, people might know from. Um, his Sega days, Sega Rally, Space Channel 5, um, Res. So we did um, some VR VR optional games. We did uh, Luminous Remastered, Res Infinite, most recently Tetris Effect. Um, doing different versions of Tetris Effect, Tetris Effect now. We have a game called Humanity coming out uh, this uh, end of this year, fall 2021. Um, and yeah. That's uh, that's about it. All right. Well, I wish we had more time to talk, guys, but thank you for being here. Maybe we'll have you back again. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Our pleasure. Time. Thank you. Thank you, Crispin Boyer and Mark McDonald, for joining Alex today and talking about this marvelous piece of history with uh, EGM and everything else. But now it's time for us to talk about what we've been playing. Hopefully... You've already created your character on the North American server and have been playing Final Fantasy XIV like Tune for a while, so you can have, you know, enjoy your time and enjoy the expansions as you wish. I've been playing a little bit of Smash on, like, the spirit summoning side. It's still tedious. I'm almost there. I have about five more. I have, like, one more person to bring into the fold, which I'm pretty okay with. That The story mode on Smash, is it's just tedium to me. Uh, but anything new with what y'all have been playing? Well, I have been playing the latest game, Monster Hunter Stories 2. And I was actually just trying to play it for, a, like, okay, I just got to do this for an hour and I got to do other stuff. I had other work to do. Yeah, I thought you said you were going to wait on getting this. Yeah, I pick it up on Sunday and <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't turn out to be on plan and my whole day is gone and my other day is gone either (laughs) (laughs) it happens it happens it's it's monster hunter and it's and it's it's a real mmo with monster hunter so it's it's really fun i i really want to give it uh, a shout out to to that it's like it i'm just too excited to say yeah you're just too excited you can't make the words (laughs) so what I don't like about Pokemon, oh, I gotta bring this up. I what I don't like about Pokemon is when you have to um, hatch the eggs, you have to run a stupid amount of t- steps to get it done, and you don't know whether you don't know until the the egg is hatched whether it's the right one or not. But 
in most kind of stories too, you don't do that. We don't do that here. You just it just one click and all the eggs you got is hatched. It and the、Ooh. way you pick which one to choose is not depends on the stat only. But、uh, I don't want to spoil too much about the games. But you should check it out. It's a less frustrating method to I which I hope we have in Pokemon. Another thing is, uh, the game it's a half open world. So you can go over the field just by walking, riding your monster, or you can just fly a dragon. And you don't even have to finish the game to, in order to fly in the game. I mean, it's only in the middle of the game. I, oh, no spoilers, but <laughs> um, it 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 just it just feels、game. way too good. Well, that's a good. That's good news. I may have to pick that up. Yeah, I, but I'm, I would really so, recommend you to pick. My it up. question to you:、mm-hmm. Monster Hunter Rise or Monster Hunter Stories Two first? It depends what kind of players you are. What what games do you like to play? You, do you love、I'm, turn-based RPG? Turn-based. I like. I haven't played a ton of turn-based recently, but I did really enjoy it. I mean, I've played. I played a lot of Final Fantasy Three On my iPad when I came that out, so I do enjoy myself some turn-based fighting.、Hmm. Then I think maybe you can pick up Rise first. It's a very,、uh, it's a very good Monster Hunter game for new players. I can't say for the old players because they may be less challenging. But if you're new to Monster Hunter series, it's a very good first Monster Hunter game. And I did play Monster Hunter World. Oh, you did、so. play Monster Hunter World, but oh no, it's it's different. So、yes. you, you you can't compare Monster Hunter World to any other Monster Hunter series. Okay, that, no, okay. that is the 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 difference of it. It just it, okay. They they have so many changes in in world that it lost a lot of the original phases of the game, which I believe old players may not like it as much. But for Rise, it's they are they all coming back. Okay. Yeah. The only thing that the old players will be complaining is the is the lack of contents compared to old game old series because it there used to be more play time for the game, but now it's less. But we can see there will be a, a, a yeah. We can see that usually there will be an expansion to follow up the game. So we'll wait to see. But I do recommend picking it up. Alrighty. I think it's time for us to. Send off. We want to thank you for listening to the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment's official podcast. If you have any thoughts, questions, corrections, or general museum ideas, please shoot us an email at infothemade.org. We'd like to send out a big thank you to everyone who donated recently, and to our Patreon supporters who keep the made afloat. Patreon donors get to listen to this podcast one week before it's released on major streaming services, and we'll continue that with future episodes every week. Till then, I'm Miles. I'm Chin, and I'm Red. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.